0: Welcome to the Placebo Magic Podcast, the podcast about theatrical spiritual practice for atheists. I'm your host Durmak, the wizard and peasant Lord of this vast 10-acre realm of Hobdur, also known as Farm Code Gary, also known as Garrison Benson. Greetings Placebo Mages. Today. Gardening as a Magical Art. But first, thank you to our newest Patreon backers, Floor, Corey, Carmen, and welcome back to returning supporter Alconet. And thank you to our patrons at the producer level or above, Alconet, Emily, Red Rum Soda Pop, Annie, Ash, Brianne, Carrie, Dev, Fanka, Gyun, The Turkey Whisperer, Tony, Valerie, Winter, and Zoe. All right, so this is a type of episode that I, um, <laughs> I did one, and then I was going to do a bunch more, and I just, uh, for whatever reason, I haven't gotten back around to do those until now. Um, which is to these magical arts episodes where I look at a different art form or hobby, a specific one, and and kind of break down, you know, the overlap of the Venn diagram between that that hobby and. Placebo magic. So I did one of these episodes for tabletop role playing, which was a very well received episode, and then I've just n- never gotten back to them. So here, here it's happening, and I feel like I, I could definitely, I could do do more of these soon. I mean, I have them, I have the ideas rattling around my head to do episodes about poetry and about theater. Um, but who knows? Maybe a, maybe I'll get to them. Maybe I won't. Depending on what else uh, kind of gets bumped up in the queue. So, anyway, let's talk about gardening. This is kind of my, I don't know, it's probably fair to say that it's my number one hobby, although I, I don't know how that shakes out in terms of hours. It's hard to say whether I spend more time gardening or reading or, um, well, it's probably one of those two. But I, I'm going to make a bold statement here, which is that gardening is the best hobby. If you want to live a good, happy, healthy life, gardening is the best hobby. Full stop. Um, so let's get into why that is. To start this episode off, um, first of all, it's great exercise. It's not too straining as I mean, it can be if you're farming commercially, but gardening for yourself, it's not too much strain if you do it right, and um, it's just very good for your body to get to move in those kinds of ways. Gardening also gives you, you know, sunlight and vitamin D, which are Um, sunlight is great for your mental health. Vitamin D is great for fighting off the the coronavirus and, you know, just for your health in general. Of course, if you are spending a lot of time in the sunlight, then, you know, use protection, wear long sleeve shirts and sun hats and, and, uh, sunscreen, whatever else you need. Um, so that it will remain healthy. I, my former, one of my former farming bosses, coworkers, got skin cancer basically because of farming and it made me paranoid about that so please do use protection but sunlight is really important for our mental health and gardening is a really excellent way to get some of that like likewise just being out in nature is really good for your mental health um being around plants being around you know birds and um, the sensory stimulation of having your hands in the soil touching plants is really excellent for your mental health. Gardening, especially if you just kind of enjoy the peace and quiet can give you a chance to sort of rest your attention, rest your focus. So that when you're gardening and just kind of doing the, the kind of day-to- day gardening tasks of weeding and watering, um, you're kind of letting your mind wander, letting your, your using your lantern attention instead of your flashlight attention. And that actually um, helps to, like recharge your flashlight attention. So um, it's a really good good for that. And just the time and space to think and contemplate or you know, if not think and contemplate, then then um, just to be in the world, not thinking, not contemplating, just be present. Gardening is an excellent way to meet your neighbors and um, and particularly if your garden is visible from the street, which unfortunately, my <laughs> my gardens not visible to any other human beings. And not even close. But um, unless you're, you know, flying a, an airplane or a, a drone or something, but you know, for most people, if you have a garden, it's probably visible from you, you know, to your neighbors. And it's a really excellent conversation starter where you can start, you can talk to somebody who you don't know, and you don't really have to navigate all the garbage of small talk and asking what do you do and and you know all that stuff. You can just get right down to brass tacks and talk about potatoes and tomatoes and and carrots and um gardening is a hobby that cuts across almost any kinds of demographic lines gardeners can be you know as likely to be young or old liberal conservative male female or any other gender it cuts across racial lines ethnic lines and it's like this common ground that you can have with with any kind of person i mean as long as they're a gardener anyway (laughs) um which is the best kind of person there is um and you know it's this kind of we're in an era where our algorithms tend to kind of like keep us in our bubbles, and it's a good way to get to know your actual neighbors, the people who actually live near you and and have something in common with them and, and have a face-to-face interactions with people. And those you know, gardening neighbors often become more than just people you talk to because gardeners share. We share transplants, we share seeds, we share produce, we share space, we share advice, we share tools. The people who, you're, who are going to stop by and talk to you when you're putzing around in the garden are the people that you want to get to know um, because they're the people who are going to you know, show up for you m- much of the time. I used to work on, on a small organic farm for several years, and it was just kind of funny to me that you know, we used to have these monthly, uh, we called it a grower's group meetings, where um, all of these other small sustainable vegetable farms, mostly vegetables, in the, in the broader region of southwest Michigan would get together once a month for a potluck and so it's just funny when you think about it, like we would get together with all of our direct competitors and share food, break bread together. And then also whichever farm was hosting it that month would give a tour of their farm and basically just share all their trade secrets. Um, you know, it's it, that's that's what happens when you garden is that... you. <laughs> gardeners are that those kind of people, the kind of people who would, you know, tell their direct business competitors all their best kept secrets about, you know, how to how to do what they do. You know, finally, the the last uh, benefit of gardening for your, you know, physical and mental health here is that you get fresh fruits and vegetables out of the deal. And in many cases, the fruits and vegetables that you produce will be not only more nutritious, but also better tasting than um, store-bought produce for a few reasons. One, because it's more fresh. Two, because store-bought varieties um, oftentimes are, like the the varietals are bred for shipping and storage properties rather than like actual taste and nutrition properties. Not only that, but you're getting this really key key, uh, component of a healthy diet, at least for a, a good chunk of the year from your garden, that is one of the most expensive, it's one of the most expensive components of healthy eating. You can get whole grains for like really cheap if you buy in bulk. And you can get really inexpensive protein through, you know, purchasing dry beans or eggs. But vegetables are kind of expensive when, you know, especially for people who are not upper class or or like upper middle class, it's kind of hard to buy enough vegetables because it's really hits your hits you in your pocketbook. So this is a hobby that has all the aforementioned benefits, but also you know, you get to eat healthy in a way that saves money. And, you know, my experience and I think the experience of all the gardeners that I know for the most part is that when you have put in the work to grow stuff, you're going to end up eating a lot more vegetables than if you had bought them because you're going to want to eat all of what you grow if you can. And, you know, you may you may not have been willing to buy that much produce because of the cost or because you didn't think you were going to eat it. But when you grow it, it's like, well, I'm not going to let this go to waste um, i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna gonna eat it so i find that I just eat a ton of vegetables in the summer when i'm you know when when they're available when i'm harvesting them so i that that's kind of my case for why gardening is the best hobby um i don't think that <laughs> i don't i don't think that anyone is going to come up with a good enough counter argument to convince me otherwise i mean there are certainly gardening is a is a seasonal hobby and so it may not meet your exercise needs all winter, for instance, but there's other ways you can do that in the meantime until you can get back out in the garden. So let's talk a little bit about gardening as a spiritual practice or gardening as a placebo magic, uh, as a component of your placebo magic. So first of all, um, let's look look at like the symbolism and meaning making opportunities that are in the garden. There's a ton of these. Some of the ones that are most important to me one of them I, I shared recently on the episode with Sedna Wu, which is this idea that is really important to me, and in fact it's what the name Dormak means in my language, which is making space. The idea is that when you can't directly change things that you want to be different in the world, instead try to focus your efforts on making space, like creating the conditions in which things could change. And oftentimes it's kind of like a like a subtler and gentler way to create change by making space. So rather than you know go out and try to force a relationship to happen make the space where it could happen in yourself and in your environment and stuff you know go go put yourself in the spaces where you could meet somebody and cultivate the, the space inside of yourself where you could you know you could emotionally like handle a relationship if you want to make community <laughs> happen rather than try to just make people get together and make them get along and make them share their lives Instead, cultivate the space where that kind of thing tends to happen, create community spaces and create um, a presence around yourself, cultivate your own presence to be conducive to that. So anyway, with gardening, you know, you have this like really nice example of that where you can't make things grow. You know, that's just not something that we're able to do. You, you can't just like sit there and glue the molecules together to make a tomato the plant has to make the tomato. All you can do is make the space where a tomato could exist. You know, um, which which involves mostly this act of hospitality toward the plant of being attentive to its needs, of you know learning doing taking the kind of the discipline to learn what it needs and to learn how to observe how it it reacts to different conditions, and um, so that you've got the right amount of water, not too much, not too little, the right amount of. Organic matter in the soil. You've dug the soil deep enough, and you know loosened it deep enough um, that you've that you've kept weeds out of the garden and allowed rainwater to penetrate without saturating, oversaturating the soil. All, you know all these kind of things are acts of hospitality, where you're just trying to make space for the things that you want to happen, which is you know tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, <laughs> watermelon, if you're really lucky. Uh, <laughs> So another another great um, opportunity for meaning making in the garden is kind of like through weeding, which I think weeding is a lot of people's least favorite garden task. It's probably my favorite. Um, I think because it's so kind of mindless, and you can just think your thoughts and or listen to podcasts or whatever, and not not have to be interrupted by a lot of like strategizing in in the middle of it. But I like to think of weeding. As and it's just this like slow and steady work. I think of it as kind of working on yourself. You can't like nuke the weeds. I mean, you can you can nuke them with like chemicals in a short term sense, but they're going to come back no matter what you do. And what you really want to do in the long run with weeds is reduce the amount of weed seeds and roots in the soil over the course of many years. And you can do that partly by pulling weeds, partly by um you know, making sure that they don't have the opportunity to, to flower and set seed. But to some extent, there's always going to be more showing up because of, um, birds are going to be dropping seeds in the garden. Seeds are going to blow into the garden and you're going to be, um, as you work, the soil you are going to be unearthing like really old seeds that are still viable and, and, uh, are going to come up. So just like working on yourself and kind of trying to like deal with your own fault flaws and, um, and foibles, like, they're not going to go away permanently. You can't you can't like find this like ultimate final solution and just, you know, destroy those parts of yourself. It's just an act of ongoing stewardship. It's really more about showing up consistently and not expecting progress to happen overnight. You know, it's like if you if you started a new garden or if you reclaimed like a like an overgrown garden, you can't expect the garden to be weed free on year 1 when there's like this huge quantity of weed seeds and weed roots in the soil but if you consistently focus your attention and your time on removing those weeds then you know the next year there's going to be a lot less the year after that there's going to be a lot less and so on and eventually it's going to be a very manageable problem just like it is with you know your your anger your impatience your um anxiety you know all of those kinds of things that we all struggle with You can really turn weeding in in particular and a a few other garden tasks, maybe watering um, into a practice of mindfulness. It's just the right kind of work where you, you can just, you know, focus your attention on the texture of the weeds as you pull them, focus your attention on the smell of the weeds. And if you, if you know a little bit about like edible garden weeds, which there are a lot of them, um, and many of them are actually more nutritious than some of the vegetables that they may be disturbing. Um, you can also, you know, engage your sense of taste and taste your your lamb's quarters and your purslane and your dandelion and and stuff, and kind of use that as another um, opportunity to strengthen the mind body connection and, and practice mindfulness. And you know, speaking of which, of of learning those things, I I also find that. One of the reasons I enjoy weeding, I started enjoying it when I started learning the names of the weeds. Um that was kind of a key change. I didn't enjoy that enjoy it at first when I started farming. But when I started learning the names of the weeds and I started to learn a little bit about their properties, I just appreciate being with them and I appreciate being able to kind of have this little this weird intimacy with weeds where you get to like touch them and feel them and smell them and taste them and knowing that they are they're not bad plants. They're just, you know, not where we want them to be for our, our particular human reasons, but they're just what they are. Um, they're not like inherently flawed. And that's, that's kind of how it is with our, with our own flaws where most of the time it's, it's just kind of maladaptation to th- the way society is now. Most of our, most of our flaws come from things that we evolved to to do for evolutionary advantage, evolutionary adaptation, that now are not good adaptations in this environment. And so they're not bad parts of ourselves. They're just, they are what they are, and they're just, they just happen to be unhelpful in their current situation. Another really nice opportunity for meaning-making in the garden is composting. Composting is basically you're taking your failures and turning them into future success. And it's a really nice metaphor for for mindfulness or for um, you know spiritual practice, where you're you know you take these parts of yourself that are kind of unhelpful and you apply this focus beam of your attention and they and you turn them into something helpful, you know that that's what composting is. Especially when you know if you may know if you build a compost pile large enough and you can sort of construct the pile in the right way, it'll actually heat up um, with uh, what's called thermophilic activity, thermophilic bacteria and that will cause the decomposition to happen much faster and it'll also smell better than than anaerobic decomposition which is the you know the slower colder flavor so yeah that you know that thermophilic composting it's really a, an apt metaphor for mindfulness because of the warmth of the embrace that you, that you kind of give to your to yourself and to your emotions that helps to transform them into something more you know more helpful You can also think of it as like alchemy, kind of like if you remember the the mood alchemy episode, you can think of the compost pile as being a a form of alchemy. And, you know, you kind of get it kind of gives you this almost like giddiness about failure. I think really the the biggest difference between someone who has a a green thumb and someone who thinks that they don't have a green thumb is that people who have a green thumb have a appetite for failure. (laughs) And people who don't have a green thumb Have a low tolerance for failure that's really what the main skill of being a gardener is everything else is just details but also gardening will give you that skill i mean you know it'll level up your appetite for failure and part of part of this is composting that you just have this experience year after year of like oh this you know all my cucurbits were killed by frost so into the compost pile they go and oops i didn't pick those tomatoes in time into the compost pile they go Several years back when I was working um, full-time on an organic farm, I listened to an audiobook of uh, Nature by Ralph Waldo Emerson, the um, American transcendentalist, and this one particular quote really like stuck out to me, and it's particularly relevant here. All things with which we deal preach to us. What is a farm but a mute gospel? The chaff and the wheat, weeds and plants, blight, rain, insects, sun... It is a sacred emblem from the first furrow of spring to the last stack, which the snow of winter overtakes in the fields. So basically the way I interpret that is that, you know, he just sees just the, the ordinary processes of agriculture as being this, this source of wisdom and meaning if you, if you're willing to look for it. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, using a garden in the context of placebo magic. Um, I think the first and and kind of maybe most obvious or most common way to do this is just to use your garden products in your rituals. So, an excellent candidate for this is aromatic herbs. And herbs are oftentimes the easiest thing to grow. I mean, once they're established, they're kind of impossible to kill in most regions and with most herbs. And sometimes they're a little too (laughs) vigorous and they overtake the rest of your garden, as is the case with mint. But because, you know, the sense of smell has such a powerful, uh, effect on our on our sort of um, subconscious and our particularly like our our habit formation and our memory this is a really excellent opportunity to be able to use something from your garden that will then have kind of a deeper you know more or more su- substantial meaning already kind of imbued in it just from the fact that you put all this time and energy and attention into growing it So you know other other kind of products you might use would be like you know corn stalks, pumpkins, gourds, flowers, whether, you know, fresh or dried, you know, there's all kinds of different products from your garden that you can use. And not only um, the things that you grow, but the things that you find in your garden, whether that's like snail shells or really interesting rocks or bones from animals. You know, I found all those kinds of things in my garden in the past few years, fossils, feathers, you know, so it's an excellent like source of that stuff. And when you're spending time in the garden those things will just kind of find their way to you and it's much more powerful in my opinion to to find things that way than to just go buy them from the from the witch, witchy section of target where they have the candles and the and the fun rocks as i alluded to a little bit you can you know integrate ritual into your gardening tasks this is really great for weeding in particular or watering but it, you know it can really work with anything most gardening tasks are repetitive which means that they are excellent opportunities to practice meditation. However, you can also, you know, ritualize them in other ways than just just mindfulness meditation. You can, for instance, if you have a certain garden bed or a crop that's that's weedy, then you can kind of map that task onto a, a magical task that you want to accomplish and say, "Well, I need to process this like jealousy that I'm feeling, and I'm going to weed it out of myself." while I weed the tomatoes. So you can kind of ritualize this, this task that you need to do anyway, and, and kind of imbue it with this like theatrical emphasis where you kind of visualize that every weed that you pull, you're reaching into yourself and not judgmentally, but just, you know, you're just taking care of yourself by pulling those things up and, and kind of exposing them to their roots, to the light before they have a chance to, flower and spread more seeds and spread more, you know, jealousy or anger, whatever it is within yourself. Some people like to plant by the moon. There's not really much of a scientific basis uh, for for doing that from an agricultural standpoint, but from a, you know, self-care standpoint, it could be really helpful because it could imbue your garden with additional meaning and could be a way to kind of, you know, use those garden tasks as as rituals to accomplish other things, to you know, you could you could visualize your planting seeds under the full moon as um, you planting a seed in yourself for something you know a quality that you want to cultivate in yourself. Using the the phase of the moon could kind of add another element of magical authority to that task. Garden can be an excellent ritual space. It's kind of a liminal space between civilization and wilderness. And it kind of represents this this like finding harmony between civilization and wilderness, where even if you're in the in the heart of a giant city, cultivating a garden like puts yourself at the mercy of the elements in a way where you're going to try to try to kind of work with nature rather than um, just kind of subdue it. You're going to kind of creating a space where where you're willfully subjecting yourself to be at the mercy of the of the rain and sun and wind and all that. This it's the space that connects us all to wilderness. If if not, you know, utter wilderness, at least like some of the factors of wilderness that we don't normally touch in our day to day lives. The garden is a great space to do you know any kind of ritual or or divination or, or um, meditation or anything like that. And I think that it's it's particularly good because you know unlike um, a space indoors that you might cultivate really carefully. And decorate really carefully, and and control really carefully. A garden is an inherently like imperfect space. You can't you can't make a garden perfect because it's it's forever out of your control. You know, no garden is one hundred percent weed free, or or perfectly geometrical, or perfectly cooperative. You know, every every garden has failures, and every garden has has imperfections, and every garden has um, things that are just confounding the gardener and that's part of what makes it so valuable as a ritual space or as a space to just be a person is that it's it's something that you know you kind of go beyond the concepts of like perfection or imperfection and into this more of a concept of just right it's not perfect it's just right it's the way it should be and in that kind of space it's easier to allow yourself to be who you are where you are just right in the present so yeah, I hope, you know, I, I, I've i been waiting to do this episode. I kind of um, wrote out my bullet points like several months ago and I was like, well, making a gardening episode at the f- in the fall is kind of a terrible time because I want to inspire you guys to start a garden if you haven't already or, you know, get moving on your garden for this year. Of course, in the Southern Hemisphere, the fall would have been a perfect time to do it, but most of our listeners are in the Northern Hemisphere. So I was saving this and I really hope that You know whether you're starting in a a very small, you know, herb pot in your apartment, or whether you're going to plow up your front yard in the middle of suburbia, or whether you're going to, you know, whether you're out in the country and you already have a gigantic garden and you can a lot of stuff or whatever. I just hope this is inspiring to you, and I particularly would like to emphasize something that I learned when I was, um, I used to manage a community garden for a few years, and I what I figured out is that there. There really is no such thing as a green thumb or a black thumb or, or whatever. This gardening is not like something that you, you're either born with or you're not. It's, that's really just rubbish. You know, someone who's a, a gardener or someone who with, might think they have a green thumb or other people might think they have a green thumb. It's really just someone with a tolerance for failure and a kind of an appreciation of being able to turn failure into compost. And it's someone who has a lot of compost. If you think that you're a bad gardener, just go buy a lot of compost or manure and you'll suddenly become an awesome gardener. That's the main thing. When I was managing a community garden, um, the organization I worked with, it was an asset-based community development organization that was um, focused around a particular neighborhood in the city I lived in at the time. And <laughs> we just, the, as the the organization before the gardening season even started for our community garden, we just bought like $400 worth of compost, dumped a bunch in every single garden box and then every single person had an amazing success. And that's really the main thing. The main the main difference between success and failure. So go out and you know get your shovels in the ground. I'm about to start my um transplants in my greenhouse like tomorrow or the next day, my my first round of transplants. And even here in you know northern Michigan, I'm gonna start a few things in the ground pretty soon, some spinach and some other like really hardy winter or you know early spring greens. So, you know, get out, get your shovels in the ground, get your, get your um, pots in your apartment and all that, and uh, enjoy the best hobby. (laughs) You can find the Placebo Magic podcast and my poetry and other writing on the web at farmcodegary.com. Send your feedback to farmcodegary at protonmail.com and let me know if I can read your feedback on the show. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. You can support the show by giving us a review on your podcast app of choice, sharing an episode with a friend, or becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash placebo magic. Patreon supporters also gain access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus show. Remember, magic is a metaphor, and metaphor is magical.